spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David Ige. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Aloha and good morning. Thanks for tuning in here on this Wednesday morning. I'm Ryan Kalei-Suji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we focus once again on the upcoming election. By now, most of, if not all, of Hawaii residents have received their ballots in the mail and are making those decisions. One race in particular that's drawing a lot of attention is the race for Congress in the Congressional District, seat number two. That's right. That is the seat currently held by Congressman Kai Kahele. Of course, he's vacating that to run for governor. And so former state Senator Jill Takuda and current state representative Patrick Bronco are among the candidates facing off in the Democratic primary for that second congressional district. It covers parts of rural Oahu and the neighbor islands. We want to bring them both in. Thank you both for being here this morning. We appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you. Mahalo. So you're both uh, having represented the windward side, of course, both here on Oahu, uh, some diverse political backgrounds, but both Democrats. So um, Ms. Takuda, let's start with you. What do you think distinguishes you from your opponent in this race? You know, first of all, I just want to thank both of you for having this forum. And, um, you know, also want to thank the Star Advertiser for their endorsement and recognition of our my experience and my perspective that's been really important in this race for Congress. And I think to that question, what distinguishes me, I do think it's the experience I've had serving in the Hawaii State Senate for 12 years and leading some of um, our toughest committees during tough times, having to make difficult decisions at the end of the day, really making sure that it's in service to the people of our state and to my district as well. And it's also perspective, you know, in addition to serving the Hawaii State Senate, running my own small business, being a nonprofit executive, I understand what it's like to be on the other side of government as well. And, you know, really what's at stake in terms of the urgency here, why we've got to make crucial decisions now to keep our young people and our families here in Hawaii. You know, as you know, I have two young boys of my own that started school yesterday. And for me, it's about all of our keiki and our families being able to see a future for themselves here. We can't let our children be our greatest export. And that's really why I'm fighting. And when you look at my experience and perspective, you'll know I'll be that kind of advocate in Congress. Mr. Bronco, what do you think distinguishes you from your opponent? I think what distinguishes me is my experience uh, internationally, federally, at the state level, and even at the county level. You know, as many of you folks know, I was a former U.S. diplomat for eight years in Colombia, Pakistan, Venezuela, and with the Secretary of State's office, fighting for democracy, freedom of press, and fighting for United States foreign policy in some of the most hostile areas around the world. And this experience has taught me aloha diplomacy. And this is what I brought to the state legislature. And I'm proud that during the state legislature, I was the vice chairman of the Water and Land Committee. I sat on the Finance Committee, as well as also on, um, excuse me, the Military Affairs and Corrections Committee. And we worked hard. You know, we worked during the pandemic. And I'm very proud of the fact on the Finance Committee, we made sure that no state employee was furloughed. And we made sure we had a balanced budget. And now the state, state is flourishing. And I think that's where the experiences are different is my international experience versus my state experience. Also, I'm the only candidate in the race 
one that has significant Washington DC experience, but also has a lot of the practical experience. I have been part of the negotiating team flying into Afghanistan, 17 hours, negotiating for six hours, back on the plane, and then back to the next country. The next candidate, the next congressperson for Hawaii needs to have that practical experience and know what the job actually takes. You need to be in Washington and then come home. And it's not about just being at home and being with your family. It's about going to Kauai, Molokai, Lanai, Maui, Hawaii Island, and then going to Washington and building those relationships and committing to that. And this is why I'm proud that I've made the commitment that if I'm elected, I will not run for Senate. I will not run for governor. I will not run for lieutenant governor. I'm committed to this seat to bring Hawaii the experience and make sure Hawaii has the seniority and is a focus in the halls of Congress. You know, there are a number of issues that we're going to try to get to as many as we can in this short amount of time. One of the things that are on the minds of many Hawaii voters, and we're seeing it through all the different polls that are going on, is just the overall cost of living uh, and just the price for living here in paradise. Representative Bronco, we'll start off with you. What realistically would you be able to do in Congress to help these high costs of living that many Hawaii residents are facing? Sure. Thank you. you now, I'm going to just start with a quick story. Now, recently, uh, you know, my high school classmates, there's a group of us that have been friends since seventh grade. And we went to one of our friends' children's party. And there I saw one of my classmates who's a teacher. And she was there with her husband. And, you know, I could see that she wasn't really enjoying herself. So I spoke to her. I said, hey, you know, what's up? And she goes, you know, I'm a teacher and I love children, but I can't even afford, to, one, my rent, but two, to have my own children. And that's a sad reality here in Hawaii today, is that my generation, future generations are struggling to even stay here in Hawaii and even can't even have the opportunity or you know, the pleasure of having children. And so this is why this seat is so critical. The number one thing to do for affordable housing is building seniority and someone commits to the seat to make sure we can get those amendments into uh, the finance committee, number one. Number two is securing financing for, uh, for housing. The most expensive part of housing is infrastructure, you know, water, sidewalks, roads. And this is where the federal government can play. And this only comes in with seniority. And number two, the number one thing as well is also getting funding to house Native Hawaiians. I was very proud to be part of the group that passed legislation to give DHHL $650 million this year. But the other way to supplement that is to get federal funding to assist with the development of Hawaiian homelands. Because when you house Native Hawaiians, it benefits all of the community. Uh, and Senator Sakura, your thoughts on affordable living here in Hawaii? You know, thank you so much for that question because no matter where I go, from Hilo to Hanalei, you know, I was on five different islands last week and next week I'll be on another five islands as well. And I can tell you that the conversation and the sentiment is the same. The struggle is real to be able to have enough, you know, money in your pocket to be able to keep that roof over your head, food on the table really be able to feel like you've got chance and a hope here. And I think that's what's so important about this fight. And every day that I go home, every day that I go out there and see my kids at school and their families as well, you feel the struggle, you understand that urgency. I think immediately we've got to look at such things as restoring the child care tax credit. When I was working in the community to help keep people sheltered, that made a huge difference knowing every month you'd get a little bit more to help stretch that budget, keep food on that table, pay off that debt on your credit card. We've got to immediately restore that emergency rent and utility support. Hundreds of millions of dollars came into Hawaii. We need more. It's about us getting our fair share to help our families really bridge the divide that they're feeling financially right now. And if you also think about 
it, you know, it's not just renters. A lot of homeowners have been struggling and very little money honestly came in from the federal government to support homeowners that were struggling to pay the water bill, to pay the electricity bill. We've got to do more to help what's becoming a growing gap group, our working poor in our community, help them through feeding programs. All of these different things can make a difference in stretching that that dollar farther and helping people feel that they've got a shot here. And I think we've got to act with urgency. I absolutely understand what Patrick's talking about and his friend that he saw. I see it every day. I live in a, in a household with, you know, multiple generations on my street, just looking down the road. We're all living that every single day. And if we don't act with urgency, all of our children and our families will become our greatest export here in Hawaii. It's got to stop. One family leaving is too much. Senator Takuda, I want to stay with you. You know, Red Hill and other issues have brought Hawaii's relationship with the military really to the forefront. There are a number of leases coming up. We know that the congressional delegation, uh, the existing delegation, has played a big part in helping to hold the Navy accountable when it comes to draining the fuel tanks and cleaning up what has gone wrong there. What role do you see on a broader scale the military playing here in Hawaii in the future? You know, first and foremost, I think we've always got to remember that it comes down to ensuring the health, safety, and well-being of our people. That is critical, making sure that our people are taken care of, our precious resources like our water are taken care of. We can't go back and fix some of these things. We've got to be proactive and we've got to be vigilant on this front. We've got to make sure that we have the information necessarily in a timely fashion to make good decisions. But most importantly, Yunji, you bring up that it's Red Hill, it's leases, it's so many other issues. To me, one of the experiences I found having represented actually uh, the Kanuyukailua area for 12 years, understand what it means to be able to get seniority by running over and over again to humbly ask for people's support to, to represent them in the state Senate, it comes down to communication and relationships. You know, I think that really is the basis of all things, if you think about it. When we break down that communication, those relationships, we really can't move forward to, together. And I think that's really important when we take a look at Hawaii's relationship with our military community. The reality is there are friends, there are neighbors, they're going to school with our kids as well. They're a vital part of the economy, but we've all, all of us has to be good neighbors. And it's about open communication to making sure that when it comes to renegotiation of leases, that we get absolutely our fair share. And you know, that's not the case in what we've had before, that we get timely data, real reports, and we make sure first and foremost, it's about the health, safety, and well-being of our people and our communities. That's top of mind for me. That's what I'd fight for and to make sure of the resources to really be able to do this. Mr. Bronco, what role do you see the military playing in Hawaii's future? You know, I currently represent uh, Kailua and Kaneohe Bay. Kaneohe Marine Corps Base is, is in uh, the district. And, you know, there needs to be more community. There needs to be more conversation. Like Senator Takuda said, that community aspect is so important. And especially with Red Hill, right now, there is no trust for the military in terms of Red Hill. We need someone that's willing to go to Washington and sit on the House Armed Services Committee. That's the number one way we can make sure Red Hill is going to be decommissioned in a proper fa fashion and make sure that we're putting pressure on the Navy. I was very proud in the state legislature to fight for that, to fight for laws that were changing, you know, the defueling of Red Hill. And I'm very proud of that. And when it comes to uh, our relationship with the military and the renegotiation of leases, when we gave those leases and paid, the military paid a dollar, that was not right then. And that's not right now. We need leaders that understand the vital role that the military plays here in Hawaii, but also knows Hawaii comes first, the community comes first, and someone can be a convener 
between the military and community to find a solution. And that's number one. And that's what my candidacy represents. As a U.S. diplomat, that was my role. As a state legislator, that was my role, is to convene community and convene outside partners to find a solution. And just a quick follow-up to this Red Hill situation. The military has laid out their timeline of how long it would take to defuel, and they're saying it could be up to two years. Uh, there has been some who argue within the powers now that saying that is just too long. Do you agree and support this military timeline? And what would you do to expedite it or help through this process? Again, we'll start with you, uh, Representative Bronco, first. Sure. You know, the number one thing is we need to look at the Navy's information, but the Navy has showed us that their information they share with the public is not accurate. And, you know, there's a lot of skepticism out there. And so this is why we need an independent congressional review to look at actually the decommissioning of Red Hill and make sure that community is involved and make sure also that when we're looking at the situation, it's done in a quick, safe, and manner that's to protect the environment. The environment is like not being talked about in this conversation. And this is something that's really critical. And it's it's a shame that, you know, the Navy is part of our military armed services and their number one role is to protect the citizens of Hawaii and protect our nation and their skepticism. And so that's the number one thing is to have an independent congressional review to look at the timeline to make sure we can decommission Red Hill in a proper fashion. And Ms. Suda, your response to the timeline that they've laid out and the plan of action for the defueling. You know, Ryan and Yunji, I think the reality is we've got to see a real timeline and we've got to see a real detailed report in terms of how they're going to get this done. We've got to hold them to it and we've got to make sure that it is both safe and aggressive because the longer this draws out, um, you know, the more potential damage this has to our, our precious natural resources, our waters and our community as well. And I think that is the obligation of Congress um, and our congressional delegation to make sure that they're being up, you know, upfront, honest and open, giving timely and accurate data to make sure that we can make the best decisions going forward and hold them to that. I think part of it is also about making sure that we have the resources to really be able to quickly and safely defuel and decommission, take care of the families and community that have been impacted. That's really my commitment as well. And if you think about it, we're talking about billions of potential dollars coming into Hawaii. For me, the real priority and focus, honestly, is making sure that the community is both at the table and getting the job done. If we're bringing billions of dollars into Hawaii to do this work, I want it done by local companies and local people. They know what's pono. They know what's right. They're going to have their heart invested in making sure this gets done quickly, safely for Hawaii. And, and that's really my commitment. Let's get the resources and let's make sure Hawaii is not just at the table. They're doing the work, too. We've come to the point in the program where we're going to allow the uh, candidates to ask questions of each other. Viewers, just so that you know, we've invited each of the candidates to ask each other a question. The other candidate, of course, will respond, and then the questioner will have a chance for a rebuttal. Ms. Takuda, we'll start with you. Very good. Thank you so much. You know, Patrick, uh, yesterday's Civil Beat article posted a story entitled, can Patrick Bronco's mainland backers buy him a seat in Congress? The freshman legislator is a newcomer to Hawaii politics, but super PACs with special interests in Washington have spent more than a million dollars trying to get him elected. That's the question that I pose to you, Patrick. Who are you running to represent? The people of CD2 or these mainland special interests? Thank you. You know, I'm running to, to represent the people of Hawaii. And there has been a lot of press about this, and I will give it to my opponent that she has done an effective job pushing her falsehoods into the press. Let me reiterate something. 
I've said time and time again, I have not, do not, and will not coordinate with any outside entity. I do not believe that any outside group should be able to influence our elections. And I've never asked for any group to buy ads to try to influence this election. And you know, my opponent knows this. She knows this, but is trying to push a false and harmful narrative to score cheap political points. She is claiming that I am directing mainland dark money groups to come into Hawaii and spend $1 million to influence this election. You know, let's just take a second to think about how ridiculous that notion is. I'm 35 years old and a freshman legislator. I'm the son of a teenage mom and a dad who dropped out of high school. We were on welfare while I was growing up. Do you really think I am someone who has the power to direct faceless millionaires on what to do with their money? It's ridiculous. But that accusation is another baseless distraction that my opponent is trying to make. We know what groups are spending in this election. Vote Vets and Bold Pack the political arm of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Vote Vets is an advocacy organization of 1.5 million veterans, their families, and advocates across the country. We have 106,000 veterans here in Hawaii. Are they a dark money mainland special interest group? Does my opponent want me to be against veterans? Bold Pack's name is literally bolstering our leadership's diversity. It is comprised of Hispanic members of Congress, who want to amplify the voices of America's largest minority group. The second congressional district is over 10% Latino. Are they a special mainland interest group? Are the members of Congress in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, who, by the way, my opponent wants to serve with a dark money interest? Does my opponent want me to go against Hispanics, my own heritage? That's Pilau. And my opponent knows that I've never asked these groups to do anything on my behalf but she is trying to vilify a veterans advocacy organization and Hispanic members of Congress to push a false narrative that mainland groups are trying to buy an election, even though she is the only one actively soliciting mainland money. This entire campaign, I have raised $150,000 total. She has raised almost the same amount just from the mainland alone. Representative Brown, I'm gonna ask you to summarize your comments. Sure, sure. And while I haven't left Hawaii this entire campaign, she has taken multiple trips to the mainland to hobnob with CEOs, lobbyists at $1,000 plate dinners. This is soliciting mainland money and okay. to influence this election. And I will not sit by and let my opponent lie about actions or character. And, and your response, Senator Kuda. Thank you so much. I have a lot to say, but first of all, can I just set the record straight about my own donations? I would tell you, Patrick, like you and being proud of your donation base, so am I. We have over 1,100 individual donors, people right there in the community, putting $10, $25 on the table in support of me. 85% of my donations come right here from Hawaii. Everyday people who care about where Congressional District 2 goes and the representation that we have in Congress. Over 50% of the dollars you've raised so far, Patrick, has come from the mainland. That's a big difference. So when you talk about who are we courting, let's be real about the facts. Let's talk about the fact that over a million dollars in super PAC dark money from the mainland has come in to support you and to oppose me. And I'm not just the only one saying this. We've got national experts across the country taking a look at your website and saying it is a roadmap 
as to how they can support you and put me down. It's a for sale sign the way I see it, that this congressional district is goes to the highest bidder. And I think that is something we've got to change. We've got to be better than that. I agree with your statements. Campaign finance reform is essential. We have got to remove the influence of money and put people back in the driver's seat. The only way to do that is to walk the walk ourselves. And sadly, when you take a look at the techniques that you are offering on your website, um, it really clashes with what you're seeing here. And again, for me, I'm very proud that historically in all my campaigns, it's been about people power, committing to publicly financing my lieutenant governor campaign, committing to not taking corporate PAC money. And I know you have as well. And for me, it's always been, again, about walking the walk to restore trust in government. I think we've got to be better than this. We've got to end Citizens United. We've got to really again, stop the influence of money in elections, return it to people. And I do feel proud that over 1,100 people so far, just in the last few months alone, since we started this congressional race, has come forward, stood up and said, I support you and the kind of leadership perspective and experience you represent, and you'll represent us well in Congress. I've been supporting my campaign, over 85% of that right here from Hawaii. That matters. That's the votes I'm fighting for. That's the endorsements that I'm fighting for every day. And I hope all of us running for Congressional District 2 can start to change the narrative about dark money being acceptable. Hawaii is not for sale. We've got to make that clear by our vote. Mr. Bronco, we have an opportunity now for you to ask Ms. Takuda a question. Sure. You know, my grandfather always told me to show aloha means disagreement and difficult issues. And, you know, Jill, I want to give you the opportunity to put this all behind us. Will you call on the NRA to release any and all questionnaires that you have submitted to them so that voters can know exactly what you have said to them? You know, Patrick, talking about campaigning with Aloha, uh, leading with Aloha as well, sadly, I think the, um, the way you responded to that last question is actually a, a great affront to that the way that you have been leading this campaign as well um, has not been with Aloha. For our campaign, it has been about keeping positive. It has been about putting our record of service and experience first, listening to people from Hilo to Hanalei and understanding that for them, what's really important is really having a chance to see a future for themselves here in Hawaii, making sure they have equal access to the most basic things like healthcare and mental health services, housing across the spectrum that they can afford from first time family owners like your friend to taking a look at senior housing as well. And sadly, we know that's not equal. And most importantly as well, educational opportunities and workforce. So our children and our families, our workers can see a future for themselves where they can have enough money in their pocketbook to really be able to keep that roof over their head, food on the table, and actually be able to have some hope in terms of where the future lies. For me, that's what this has all been about. And talking about the NRA, and talking about, um, you know, all of these hit pieces that have been out against me, quite frankly, I've, I've been devastated by them and it's been disgusting. I don't know how the NRA does its ratings. I have never wooed and asked for their support, nor have I ever supported the NRA. I can tell you one thing. I do agree with what those ads said. Stand by my record. Look at my record. If you take a look at the 12 years I served in the Hawaii State Senate and the years that have followed as well. I have helped to support some of the strongest gun legislation in the country, in the country, from looking at red flag laws to prohibiting bump stocks, all of these various things, making sure people who should not have guns in their hand do not have guns in their hand. And it's always been through the eyes of a mother, making sure that our families and our communities are safe. So I agree with you. Let's look at my record. Let's look at the 24 bills that passed during the 12 years that I served that made Hawaii one of the strongest gun laws in the country, gun law countries, states in the country. I stand by that. 
Patrick. And I think, you know, all of this disparaging comments, these negative hit pieces that we're getting in the mail from these mainland outside dark money, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Mr. Bronco, if you'd like to respond. Sure. You know, I think we need to talk about why we are here. You know, we haven't had a lot of opportunity for my opponent and I to, to have public forums. And I appreciate Ryan and Yunji, you folks wanting to organize this. You know, Yunji, you were there on PBS when I asked the question about the NRA endorsement and the NRA questionnaire. And my opponent um, shared confusion and, you know, disbelief about this. And we need to know that's in the fact that she has never fully answered that question. And this is why we're here about this. The fact is, my opponent was endorsed by the NRA. The fact is, she says that she was a leader. And we know that giving passive votes for bills as they go through the legislature is not being a leader. A leader is someone who introduces a bill, stands up to the NRA, and the NRA is also actively trying to kick them out of office. During the same period when my opponent was in the state legislature, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green had an F rating. An F rating. That is leadership. And for some reason, my opponent had a B rating and was endorsed by the NRA. That shows inconsistent leadership. And, you know, right now I just asked the question and I gave my opponent the opportunity to just demonstrate transparent and honor leadership, honest leadership by calling on the NRA to release the endorsement questionnaires that you submitted to them. And my opponent just refused to do that. And it just shows her unwillingness to do so speaks volumes. You know, we are, unfortunately are almost out of time, but we're going to ask if you guys are kind of staying a little bit longer because we just want to get in a few more topics if possible. And one of those is concerning um, what's happened with the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade. Uh, wanted to get, we'll start off with you, uh, Mr. Kuda. You know, do you believe that this is a state's issue, uh, that this is something that has, of course, evolved over time with this recent ruling? Uh, but your thoughts on where we should stand in this ruling on women's rights and uh, the you know, the role of the Supreme Court, but more importantly, uh, the changes that would potentially happen that could happen here in the state of Hawaii. You know, thank you for that question, Ryan. You know, I can tell you, and I believe it was after um, I came back from D.C. that we had a conversation on Spotlight. You know, I remember being there when the decision leaked out uh, and finding myself at midnight on the steps of the Supreme Court outraged with hundreds of others that we are finding ourselves even anchored that we're in the situation where our daughters, our niece, our, nep our nieces, you know, our grandchildren potentially will grow up in a world with less rights than we have after fighting decades to make sure that this access was available. And first and foremost, can I also say there's no such thing as a passive bill. Every bill that we vote on in the state legislature is meaningful and it means something and every single person, all 76, has a role to play in its success. And, you know, I've learned that being a majority whip, chairing committees such as education, ways and means, labor, agriculture and Hawaiian affairs. And I can tell you, having to shepherd every one of those bills also had consequences in the community. I know what it's like to even have abortion rights thrown at me in a, in a heated general election by people who did not agree and having to talk with people with compassion and humility about why we're gonna disagree because quite frankly, a woman's right to choose, make decisions about her own body is far too important. I think there's a lot of good things that we've had at the state level, but now I know our state legislature is gonna to have to double down on our protections to make sure that access remains um, very clear for reproductive care here in Hawaii. 
Even now, though, if you look at Congressional District 2, access to reproductive care is not what it should be. There are financial barriers to those who want to seek reproductive care on an abortion, depending on what island that they live in. So we still here in Hawaii have work to do. On the federal level, we have to make sure that there aren't further, even further setbacks and limitations to people being able to access reproductive care and services, whether it be telehealth, whether it be um, receiving contraception or abortion, Plan B pills through the mail, this could be critically devastating in Hawaii where our rural community depends on this as a lifeline. So between our congressional delegation and our state legislature, we've got to work like hell to make sure that this is a setback, but we cannot, must not go any further than what we have seen with this recent Supreme Court decision. I promise you, I'm going to fight with every bone in my body to make sure that as I look at my two nieces growing up right now, um, we're fighting for them. We're fighting for them and their children and their daughters as well. Representative Bronco, your thoughts? Sure. You know, I'll first start uh, at the federal level. You know, immediately at the federal level, we need to codify Roe v. Wade and we need to pass the Women's Health Protection Act. You know, our country has slipped back about 60, 70 years. And that, that's scary. And it also, you know, is signaling to other things that might be taken away, you know, increased ability to, you know, carry a gun uh, concealed, but also LGBT rights, all types of rights are, are on the line right now, and we need someone that's going to be a champion and fight for these rights. So we need to make sure we codify Roe v. Wade and immediately the Women's Health Protection Act. You know, Hawaii was the first state to legalize abortions, but, you know, we can't just sit on our laurels saying that we were the first state that was doing that. You know, we have only abortion clinics on O'ahu and Maui, and like my opponent was saying, there is significant barrier to access issues. We need to change that. What about women and families that need access to abortion on Kauai, Lanai, Molokai, Hawaii Island? Even on Hawaii Island, you can get an abortion, but not everyone has transportation to, you know, a lot across, uh, you know, large pieces of land to, to, to drive or even to fly to Oahu and Maui. That's a significant problem. And at the state level, we need to do more. We need more community health centers, but it also just kind of goes into generally this district has not had enough access to health care. You know, a lot of individuals do not have proper access to health care and not have proper access to abortions. And we have to do more immediately. And we need a champion who's willing to get into the nitty gritty and work on behalf of the people of the second congressional district. You know, we're almost out of time, but both of you just referenced the fact that this district uh, encompasses both rural Oahu and, and populated parts of Oahu as well, of course, um, but also the neighbor islands. And so I'm interested to hear from both of you of how you best represent and what your pitch is basically to the voters on Maui, uh, you know, Kauai County, Maui County and Hawaii Island um, about how you balance the needs of this district because it is so diverse. Representative Bronco, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, you know, I'm the state rep for Kailua and Kaneohebe, but I spent every summer in Curtistown on Hawaii Island, you know, working on my grandfather's pig farm. So I do have a big connection to, to the neighbor island. So number one, the first promise I make that the congressional office will remain on the neighbor islands and will not move to Honolulu. We need someone that's going to put money where their mouth is and make sure we have a commitment to the neighbor islands. You know, whether I was driving in Kauai, and learning about how near the Coco Palms Hotel, they need a new bridge that's being wiped away from the river, or on Maui where, and Molokai where there's an axis deer problem, or on Hawaii Island where our coffee farmers, their crops are being devastated by the coffee bore and coffee rust. We need a representative that's actually going to show up and not just stay in Washington or not just stay in Honolulu. 
but has a commitment to the neighbor islands and willing to work for them and make sure that the second congressional district. You know, I was recently talking with a constituent and he shared with me when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid, there's two different types of reimbursement. Um, so if you live in a rural community, the reimbursement for medical Medicare is a lot um, less. And so there's not enough doctors who are willing to accept this type of medical care. And so a lot of patients have to pay out of their own pocket or have to fly to Honolulu. That is not right. And this is why we need a congressperson that's committed to getting more doctors, more nurses, more teachers into the rural areas to make sure people can stay in the rural area and thrive. And Representative Takuda, what do you say to uh, our senator? Sorry, just Jill is good. No, Jill, Jill is great. Mr. Kuda, what do you say to the residents of Hawaii, uh, Hawaii Island, and Maui County, and Kauai about how you'll represent them? Knowing that you know, for a lot of folks who are on the neighbor islands, they feel like their needs are really dwarfed or drowned out yeah. by the voters on Oahu. No. You know, thank you for this this question, Yunji. Um, and for me, running for CD2 is actually very personal. A lot of people know that I've represented Kanyohi, gone to public schools right here, a proud Castle High School graduate where my son just started ninth grade here, uh, generations of family here. But what they may not know is four generations of our family have called CD2 home. This gave us our chance, you know, from immigrating from Okinawa to work the, the plantations in Puhi on Kauai, um, to actually growing up in Pu'unene on Maui as well. Both my mother and father's side have strong neighbor island roots. And so for me, actually throughout my service in the Hawaii State Senate, it was always about maintaining a strong connection communication relationships and understanding that we have an obligation and a commitment and responsibility to serve all of our communities, all of our people, especially our rural communities that can sometimes feel very cut off. And, you know, that's why for myself, it has been about being present, you know, on any given week, I am on a different two to three to, like I said, last week, four different islands, um, really spending time and not just talking. It's their time to be listened to. It's their time to tell us where their pain points are and what their hopes are. And that's what I've been doing for the last 11 months is going out and being present and listen. And not only listening, now talking with folks about what do we do together? What is that future we want to build for our children and our communities? And how are we going to do that by making sure we've got a strong voice in Congress that understands their perspectives? Because I've lived it. I've been there. I'm one of them. I think that's so critical. You know, Patrick was talking about reimbursement rates. And I completely agree. One thing we've got to do first and foremost is making sure we bring home our fair share of federal funds. You know, as a person who was tracking the over $22 billion that came in the last two years of the pandemic, I can tell you that was great, but we have to do better. We have to make sure it's spent and it actually gets to the folks who need it most. And oftentimes for our rural communities, they feel left out of the equation. We've got to be a fighter for them. And for me, they know that I'm going to be present in the community constantly. You're right, Patrick, it's not just about flying home. It's being present and listening and not just listening, having the relationships and the connections to really be able to know how we're then gonna take the experience that we have to get things done. That's the reputation I have since the time I was in the Hawaii State Senate, going out to communities, listening, focusing on what the pain points are and working with them to find solutions, whether it was on ways and means as a chair there, which is a very hard committee with a lot of tough decisions to education and agriculture and Hawaiian affairs. That's my commitment to people is to always be present, to know that for me, my home base, where my heart is, it's Hawaii. They'll never second guess that. My kids will be here, I'll be coming back, but not just for them, not just to fly home, Patrick, to really be present for the people of CD2 and make sure that first and foremost, they know 
they've got a strong advocate who's fighting for them in DC to make sure we get our fair share and that access is not dependent on your zip code. That access is about making sure you've got a fair shot at being able to see a future for yourself and your family here in Hawaii. Unfortunately, we are not uh, only uh, out of time, we're over time actually. We've oh, gone over okay. our allocated time. <laughs> Uh, and so we just want to allow you one final opportunity each to speak to the voters directly in a closing statement to summarize your thoughts as we head into the final days of this election cycle. Uh, we'll start off with you, Representative Bronco, your final message here this morning. You know, mahalo for organizing this, this opportunity. And I wish we had a lot more opportunities like this uh, to talk about the issues. You know, when I reflect about this campaign, you know, when I think about my, you know, my life, you know, my mom was a teenage mom. My dad never finished high school. Statistically, my biography should not read former U.S. diplomat, current state legislator, and now a candidate for Congress. But I'm here today because of the hard work and love of my parents and the aloha from the community that raised me. You know, my story was improbable in 1987, and it's virtually impossible now. We cannot accept a status quo that allows us to lose another generation of our keiki to the continent, that pushes the average home of our prices to over a million dollars, that allows the same entrenched politicians to pay lip service to our needs, but then just stand by while our problems get worse. You know, I'm running to bring a new generation of service leadership to Hawaii. I have a plan to diversify our economy, bring good jobs to, to Hawaii, and will bring affordable housing and infrastructure to our communities to stay in Hawaii. We have some big challenges ahead, but those challenges do not scare me. It gets me up in the morning and we can honor our past and deliver for the future, but only if we work together in service of the people of Hawaii. And this is why I humbly ask for your vote to be your next Congress member for the second congressional district. Mahalo. All right, and Senator Kuru, your final thoughts this morning. Well, first of all, thank you, uh, Ryan and Yunji, for, for hosting us on Spotlight today. And actually, I also want to give a big shout out to the others that have put themselves forward on the Congressional District 2 Democratic ballot. It takes a lot to put yourself out there as a candidate. People don't realize that. It's not as simple as putting your name down and, and, and turning it in. It's a real sacrifice. And it's also a, a testament to commitment to community and the issues that they care about. To you know, So to Nicole, uh, Brendan, Stephen, and Kyle, you know, thank you for stepping forward to say that CD2 is absolutely worth fighting for. And these issues are so critical to all of us. You know, and I think for myself as well, um, just like Patrick, it is about restoring hope. Hope to all of our families and community that they're gonna be able to see, you know, a future here for themselves. I was recently asked a question, you know, when people look back on your service, what do you want them to think of you? What did they want? What do you want them to remember? And, and I thought about it for a while and, and I said, I want them to remember that I was a mom. I was a mom who cared for every single person in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in our state, like family, that took care of them just like I would my own and made sure every single one of us could see a future for ourselves here, could have access to the most basic things that we need, healthcare and mental health services, a roof over our head, enough money in our pocket to have some hope that we've got a future here, education, good jobs. That's for me what's so at stake here and so important. I'm a mom who cares and understands the urgency that if government does not make the right decisions and quick decisions now, our children and families will continue to be our greatest export. You know, for 12 years, I served in the Hawaii State Senate during some tough times, making tough decisions. I know what it's like to negotiate side by side other lawmakers when things aren't so easy, when we don't have the money. 
uh, when communities are divided, that takes leadership and communication, that takes a commitment to the community to sit in those seats of leadership and get things done at the end of the day for the people that you represent. You know, I'm so privileged and humbled that for, the, for 12 years in the Hawaii State Senate, I was able to represent the home that I love. And now looking at Congressional District 2, I humbly ask for the support of the neighbor islands and the communities where my family grew up, where we got our chance. And what I wanna fight for is for every family to have a chance, just like we did generations ago when we first came here. So thank you again to Yunji and Ryan for hosting the spotlight. We've got 10 days to go. And I promise you, my commitment is the same as I mentioned, to be present. You will see me in your community soon. Please come up and say hi. And I'm really looking forward uh, to the next 10 days on the road, going out there, being present in the community. And I humbly ask for your consideration, your trust and your vote. And I know it's something I've got to work hard to earn every single day. So mahalo to everyone on this call. Thank you, Patrick, for participating as well. As always, a great opportunity to engage in very good discussion. Former State Senator Jill Takuda and current Representative Patrick Bronco, thank you both for being here, the candidates for Democrats for CD2. We appreciate your time this morning. And thanks for spending that extra 10 minutes with us. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Well, interesting, Ryan, we covered a lot of ground this morning. And if you missed any part of this discussion, remember when we're done live streaming, you can go back and watch from the beginning. Also catch us as a podcast later this afternoon, wherever you get your podcast. Very interesting to hear how they distinguish themselves from each other. That question right off the top, both of them really highlighting their own individual experiences. Uh, of course, uh, State Senator Jill Takuda, many, many years in the Hawaii State Legislature. Representative Patrick Bronco highlighting his experience as an international diplomat in the Foreign Service. Um, you did see them spar, though, on the issue of dark money and the NRA issues that have come up quite a bit in the last few weeks of this campaign. Yeah, we're seeing it a lot over television, targeting, uh, you know, Joe Takuda and her record, especially with the advertisements about the endorsement by the NRA. And we've heard it brought up by Representative Bronco, uh, but both of them denying uh, it to some degree, right? Senator Takuda saying that she, uh, you know, is firmly against what is being uh, late, what she's being characterized as by these negative ads and these campaigns. Uh, and Representative Bronco also saying that he has taken no part of it uh, as well. And so, uh, a very contentious moment, if you will, back and forth during that question and answer portion. So I encourage people to go back and watch again this entire discussion and town hall debate uh, to get a better sense of their comments during that portion, but also hearing about some of the other issues. Uh, we wish we had more time to talk about some of the major issues that are happening in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, we just ran out of time and weren't able to cover all of that ground. That's right. But we did hear their positions, of course, on abortion and also talking about affordable housing, Red Hill and military leases. So we did get to a lot, but it is never enough time. Uh, on Friday, Ryan, we've got an interesting guest, a blast from the past, if you will. Dr. Bruce Anderson, the former director of the Department of Health here in Hawaii, is joining us to give us his thoughts uh, this far out from the start of the pandemic. Of course, he was at the helm when COVID-19 first took hold in our community. Uh, what does he think now? about Hawaii did during that time, his leadership, his reflections on the leadership uh, at the state capitol as well. It'll be very interesting to hear from him. So we're looking forward to that conversation with Dr. Bruce Anderson right here, 1030 on Friday. We'll see you then. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.